Welcome to Retention Chronicles, a podcast sponsored by Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that helps e-commerce brands turn order tracking from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel. On this week's episode of Retention Chronicles, we are joined by Chuck Melber, Marketing Director at Nomad Goods, a consumer electronics and accessories brand that values resourcefulness, seeking adventures, and living in the moment. Chuck and I cover so much in this episode, but we start out by covering affiliate marketing and how Chuck goes about reaching out and sustaining the valuable partner relationships that he has with their brand affiliates. He also dives into his opinion on keeping a very healthy email marketing list and why he believes that that helps his brand in multiple faucets. Nomad Goods also has been dabbling in their SMS strategy and is exploring other methods of marketing, such as direct mailers, billboards, and even aerial advertising. All of that is then tied into customer retention and comparing e-commerce customer experiences to your typical brick and mortar customer experiences, which was something that I found so fascinating. I'd never heard of that comparison with cross and upselling before. Then we pivot to discuss Nomad's commitment to environmental sustainability and stewardship. And it is a pretty impressive commitment at that. So I encourage everyone to go check it out and listen to the details about it in this episode. We round out the episode with some chat about product development and Chuck's advice for what he takes forward with him every day in his marketing world. Welcome to Retention Chronicles. Today we are joined by Chuck Melber at Nomad Goods. Thank you so much for joining us, Chuck. We're so happy that you're here today. And I thought it would be great to have you kick off the episode by telling us about your position at Nomad and what Nomad does. Sure, thank you very much for having me on the podcast, Amara. Stoked to be here and chatting with you guys. Um, Yeah, I'm marketing director over at Nomad. I've been with the company for seven and a half-ish years at this point. Um, and Nomad is a consumer electronics accessories manufacturer, mostly focused on the Apple world. So cases for iPhone, straps for Apple Watch, wireless chargers, USB-C or lightning cables, MacBook Pro sleeves, mouse pads. We even do analog stuff like wallets and keychains and stuff like that. So we're kind of all over the world or all over the map, but mostly focused on the Apple ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I love that you call it analog technology, right? Like all the older things that we still um, still consider to be necessities, but just different yeah. from the tech world. Yeah, yeah, we started focusing on Apple stuff and then one year we decided let's make some wallets and people scratched their heads at that one a little bit. Cause it's like, you're literally just making a nice leather wallet. What are you guys doing? But <laughs> we've made a name for ourselves with our leather accessories for Apple. So we figured we might as well make a wallet too. And it, yeah, they're pretty course. awesome. I pretty so myself. Yeah. Yeah, no, and they're beautiful. I was looking at them earlier. Um, And I thought, you know, with you're very specialized in marketing, so I thought it'd be great to have you first talk about all the brand affiliates that Nomad Goods um, is involved with and to really do a deep dive into that. Yeah. You mean like affiliate marketing specifically or like brand partnerships? Yeah. So both. So whichever one you want to take first would be great. Let's start with affiliate marketing, I guess, because that one's going to be the most nuts and bolts e-commerce driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so for at Nomad, um, affiliate marketing has always been an important component of our marketing game plan. Um, and it's only gotten increasingly important over the past couple of years as a lot of like traditional publishers um, try to find more, more ways to monetize their websites. Mm-hmm. What I mean by traditional publishers, I mean like 
people who have been in the web or publishing game for a long time, maybe they were always an analog publication, always a magazine or a newspaper. They developed a website. Now they're trying to figure out like if a paywall works or maybe display ads work or now what they're all discovering is affiliate marketing works really well for like gift guides and listicles and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, affiliate partnerships have always been a really great way to A, grow the brand and like get our, our, our products in front of new people, but then also uh, incentivize coverage from other publications or from publications in general. Mm -hmm. And um, when do you when do you think that like started? Was that always a part of the marketing strategy for Nomad? Yeah, affiliate marketing has always been there, at least since I've been with the company. Um, it's just it, it really got a ton more or a lot of additional focus in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. we're, we're investing a lot more time and effort in building out affiliate partnerships more than just press partnerships. Yeah. And do you think that's like pretty across the board with like more people starting to like that publishers that you were speaking to of the efforts and the concentration being with affiliate marketing? Yeah. I mean, in, in keeping an eye on the market in general, I see a lot of people that had been maybe a like an editorial staff member transitioning into like a monetization like a marketplace editor where they're focusing mostly on affiliate partnerships now instead of just driving uh content decisions based on whatever they think is more newsworthy mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely becoming more popular um amongst publishers and then personally when i'm talking to other marketers in different verticals uh, it's always something i'm curious about who has an affiliate program and who doesn't and for those who don't, it's always why, why not? And it's usually just because they don't have time to or don't think it's worthwhile. But in my opinion, it's, it's definitely a huge monetary asset or revenue asset. Mm -hmm. So then how do you approach like that affiliate marketing and tie it into the overall like marketing strategy? So affiliate marketing is almost like an extension of PR to a degree mm -hmm. uh, and earned media placements. Um, in general, you can either do paid or earned media. Paid media is, hey, here's a thousand dollars. I want this article. Earned is, we have this cool product. You should write about it, and maybe someone does or doesn't. Um, but affiliate tends to kind of piggyback off of that earned media experience or outreach. So for us, we we focus very heavily on getting our products out to writers and journalists across industries to hopefully cover. And I've just found that as people get products in their hands, it having an affiliate program makes coverage happen or come to fruition a little bit easier, if that kind of answers your question. Um, yes, yeah. Okay, cool. But I mean, PR has always been like a huge, huge part of our program too at Nomad. Like we, we handle our PR in-house. We don't have an agency. We like to own those relationships. And like every time we have a product launch, having our in-house PRs arm basically really helps amplify a product launch beyond our existing customer base. Mm -hmm. And is that you that, you know, you mentioned keeping it in-house? Is that you yeah, who's maintaining that's, that's, all those relationships? That's literally me, yeah. Like text, like uh, this morning I was having coffee with a writer from one publication, texting mm -hmm. with people, uh, just always always keeping a good relationship with folks, um, be it via email, Twitter, text, or in person. Yeah, I think that's something too in the customer retention side of things, just relationships do matter, whatever you're talking about that kind of falls under that umbrella of customer retention. So with this affiliate marketing, making sure that the people that you're working with who are outside of your company are also, you know, you still have a great relationship with them. Absolutely. I think it's very important to have that very similar relationship to your, your PR contacts that you would have with the customer. You want to, everyone's a friend. 
basically at the end of the day is treat that's that's how i want to be treated as a customer or a industry professional or whatever and I, that's how i try to treat everybody else in it mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i think that's awesome and I'm curious, you know, with this podcast, one of the things that we like to do is like break it down. So if anyone's listening Mm -hmm. and we can have some insight of to how Mm -hmm. they could go about and do, you know, reach out to these people that they're trying to build these relationships with. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, could you walk us through like how you're actually reaching out to these um, these different people who you're hoping that Nomad Goods can um, can work with? Yeah. So on the affiliate side, the nice thing is all the affiliate platforms out there, there's a whole bunch of them. They're all pretty similar. So kind of pick, pick your poison. Uh, but within those platforms, you're, they're having a way to contact all the different publishers and you can search and find a publisher in whatever vertical you're in. So if you're making sandals and you want to talk to footwear publishers, you can go find those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's more of a transactional relationship there is you're just like hitting them up. You said, Hey, we have this affiliate program. We'd love to send you some samples. Here's our commission rate. Let's work together. That, those ones are pretty straightforward, more salesy, to be honest. It's more like a cold sales call where you're trying to get someone to buy your product mm-hmm, or your for sure. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then on the PR side, I find it's my biggest asset is honestly Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can different, different groups of people hang out in different social platforms. Um, and I find the press or writers in general are very, very into Twitter. Um, so it's a great way to communicate with and find and connect with different people on less on a less transactional basis, where it's just literally like, hey, John Smith, you write about shoot your footwear and I love your articles. Like, I'm just going to engage with you on Twitter about organic stuff, not necessarily trying to pitch you on my product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like approaching relationships from a, a more friendly rather than transactional basis when it comes to actual writers goes a long way. Yeah, kind of having more of a softer approach, I think, like you mentioned, organic. (laughs) Exactly. And like, I'm sure people listening to this that are in marketing, like they get sales pitches all day long in their inbox. And it's real easy to tell the ones that are just kind of like canned nonsense sales pitches versus like the genuine ones and Mm -hmm. basically treat your outreach to press the same way, where it's like, what I want to receive this email, is it feel spammy? Then no, I don't want to read that email. So don't, don't email people in the same fashion. You want to actually, like I said, have a conversational um, mm-hmm. relationship building experience. And too, there is a huge community on Twitter. I see that come up time and time again of, yeah. you know, just kind of like Twitter gurus who know a lot about different spaces, um, mm-hmm. like whether or not you, as you mentioned, like if you're in a certain vertical going for the people who are in similar brands um and i think that leads nicely unless you had something else you'd like to add about the affiliate marketing but the brand partnerships and that branch of things so i'd love to hear you know how nomad approaches that yeah i mean i i treat that as a a learning experience basically with all brand partnerships and it's a matter of just connecting with people that work in my same field in different verticals um so reaching out to people that are in advertising or facebook marketing or email marketing but in the shoe business or the food business or outerwear, whatever it may be, and just comparing notes. Mm-hmm. I feel like people in e-commerce these days are extremely willing to, to share and compare notes and discuss what is or isn't working. And I've, I've had a really good time over the years just reaching out to people that it, I'm honestly surprised have responded to me at times. Uh, <laughs> given sure. like Nomad's growth, like there was times when we were way smaller and I'd reach out to way bigger brands and all of a sudden you're on a call with the VP of marketing and just shooting the, shooting the breeze and mm-hmm. comparing what works for each other. Um, so yeah, building brand relationships on a professional level, I think is 
huge just for getting ahead of the e-commerce curve or picking up a new trick or tip, but then also if there's a good synergy there as far as like actual brand collaborations go or, or giveaways or stuff like that, and having an existing relationship prior to that, prior to setting up a giveaway, makes it a lot easier to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so with that like synergy, I think that's a big part of the brand image that Nomad has of just like a lifestyle and like being mm -hmm. adventurous and things like that. So with, I think that ties in nicely to what you were saying about the brand partnerships, because say you are doing a giveaway and you know you have customers for another brand that has a similar lifestyle mm -hmm. and say they're looking for something that they can use on their iphone for their adventure and something that's mm -hmm. all simple and compact and elegant mm -hmm. it does lead for a natural um, mm -hmm. progression to then find nomad goods through this other brand that they already know yeah we, we've we've consciously kind of framed nomad as an outdoors ish brand i mean we sell iphone cases and like desk items, but we're somehow branded yeah. <laughs> as an outdoorsy brand. And I think that's by virtue of the fact that basically everybody at the company would rather be backpacking, surfing, or doing something <laughs> else other than sitting at a desk. So it's like, we might as well make it what we like. Um, but that makes it, makes it easier for us to then partner with outdoors brands or travel brands that have that same aspirational feel. So like if, if there was a big prize pack of all this random stuff, whoever gets it's going to be stoked because it's all not necessarily like correlative, but definitely complementary items. Um, and just, yeah, definitely makes it more fun to set up those relationships. Yeah. And I think too, they're in the like referral space of you have a brand that you already know that you like, and mm -hmm. if they're kind of partnered or matched and you see, yeah, you see that from the brand's perspective mm -hmm. and you know, you already trust one, it is kind of like a, a different way of looking at a referral from say a family or a friend because yeah. we know that you know you get a referral and if it's from someone that yeah. you trust already you're way more likely to enjoy and like that product yeah i mean and that's, that's an actually an interesting idea too is as far as referrals go like everyone has to shoot product photography right and you can do a simple product shot of just your product or you do a lifestyle shot that involves multiple products but it focuses on your on your stuff like if you can find complementary brands that you can seed product to that they then use your products in their photo shoots as like ancillary items, it's a great way to get your stuff in front of new eyes. Maybe it's not overt marketing, but at least it's, oh, there's that leather phone company again. Like there's the, uh, there they are again on this other brand's website or there they are on this other one's uh, Instagram account. So it yeah. definitely helps build a little, little hype and at least brand recognition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those brand impressions that are maybe more mm -hmm. subtle, but you just start to kind of recognize like, oh, I've seen them in multiple places. They must be a bigger brand. I should check them out. And then, yeah. you know, it just it's something that is a little bit more longer, I guess, a longer um, rollout to mm -hmm. maybe see like sales come from it. But I think it does build on that recognition piece, which yeah. is so cool. Yeah. It's one of those things you never be able to like attribute the revenue to either. You just know yeah. it like it's a, it's a gut feeling, I guess, more than anything. It's like, okay, I'm seeing my product a lot in this one vertical that's outside of our normal wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of, I, at least I feel like marketing is going is, especially with privacy changes mm -hmm. with data, is it's going to be those subtler, uh, subtler approaches that... Mm -hmm that's what's going to differentiate the brands who are going to be super successful. Cause like you said, you know, 
salespeople they're getting or marketing people they're getting sales yeah. all the time and so that's it, people are tired of that and are looking for new and creative ways to really build that connection and see those brands and yeah. speaking of that as we're saying you know marketing might be going towards more subtler uh subtler avenues i would mm -hmm. also still like to talk about the more traditional methods like email marketing because mm -hmm. um, i know you know a ton about that so I would love to know just how do you approach email marketing in your strategy and bring that to Nomad? Yeah. Um, when I first started at Nomad, you know, we had a, a very, very basic email marketing game. And I was convinced in the beginning, it's like email marketing has got to be dying. Like there's no way this is going to be a thing in five years, let alone eight years later and growing. Um, so it's been really interesting to watch how the broader e-commerce space has embraced email marketing, but then also consumers in general seem to really enjoy it. Um, but anyhow, as far as our email marketing game goes, we we heavily focus on keeping a very healthy email list. Um, mm -hmm. So not batch and like we, I only email regularly, like maybe a third of our entire email list size. And that's because a lot of them are, you know, older email addresses from five or six years ago. Maybe people create throwaway accounts whenever they do purchases online. So they're just not opening those emails, right? whatever it may be. So any of those emails that are more or less inactive, I just don't email anymore because at the end of the day, it affects our list health and deliverability uh, to all the different ESPs out there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So li list health is, is hugely important. Um, another thing too, is we try not to be too spammy. Um, I know a lot of brands out there like to like just hammer their email account or their email list. And I, I feel like you got to respect your customer as if it, it's your own inbox. So if I, if I don't want to get an email from a brand three times a day, I'm not going to email people three times a day myself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that goes a long way to build like trust more or less in the brand and, and realizing, okay, Nomad, I only get one email a week from them. It's usually pretty cool. So I'm going to open them. And then also I'm not going to be as bothered by them as I would be by those batch and blast like corporate emails that are like every single day and i'm sure everyone has a, a brand in mind that might do something like that for sure um and then to touch on like the privacy stuff you're mentioning you know as it becomes harder to track people via pixels or harder to target people via pixel data via pixel data it becomes increasingly important to have a direct line of communication be it in this case email but also sms is getting gaining some steam there um so that way you can you can have those conversations with people rather than relying on retargeting ads or something like that to further reinforce like the brand ethos or recognition. Um, mm -hmm. So like for me, I'm getting a lot more aggressive with email capture messaging on the website and just trying to really grow that list as much as I can, especially in a time of year where there's a ton of extra traffic because of the holiday shopping. Yeah, I think that's a very unique approach that Nomad has where you are, um, that you do keep a very clean list because I feel like a lot of the times it can be scary to, you know, have shrink your list because you think, you know, naturally as humans, we think bigger is better, right? So mm -hmm. you don't want to take people off of your list thinking that, you know, what if they're yeah. going to purchase from this one email? But then when you think about the actual engagement and the way you want your brand to be recognized through your consumers, that's really what you want is those people who are super dedicated getting those emails that they're going to highly engage with rather than having like an op a smaller open rate to a bigger audience. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, it's it, as a, if you're a brand new company, getting to that first thousand, the first 10,000 email signups, it's like you work so hard to get those. And then one day you hit 100,000 and then a million. It's like, I have all these contacts I can maybe like market my stuff to. You work so hard to get them. But at the end of the day, you're much better served continually building and whittling that list. Like mine hasn't grown a lot in the past two years as far as my active list goes. Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly getting new blood in there and then weeding out the people that just aren't interested. And at the end of the day, like if you don't, like I think of it as like a brick and mortar store. Like if I'm selling something and you're not interested in my product, like if I had a golf store and you hate golf and only like fishing, like that's fine. I don't need you to come to my store, like mm -hmm. walk on by. So I'd like, why invite them in every single day over and over again if they're just not interested? Yeah, and too with that, it could start to work in the negative way where if you have someone who's on your email list, but just, you know, for they won't take the two seconds to unsubscribe or whatever it is. They just keep getting those emails because we all do it sometimes. Yeah, I'm very um, guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, right. So, because if there's so many of them, you know, they just yeah. build up. But to that point of if there's a brand, like say you're getting emails from a fishing right. store and, and yeah, you're just like, I'm not, I don't know why I'm getting these. Like yeah. you start to get frustrated at the brand, even though yeah. you could easily unsubscribe. Yeah. So having that approach that, um, you have it, it kind of right. eliminates that frustrating part that is a potential. Yeah. And I, I guess the important thing too, is for people that are just getting into this is like, you, you got to build that or you got to start omitting people via segmentation because they're not going to omit themselves. Like mm -hmm. for me, I bought something for my wife for Christmas, like I think two years ago and the company emails me every single day. And I look at the email, I'm like, stop emailing me. And I could go and subscribe, like you said, but I don't. Yeah. Why? Because I'm lazy. <laughs> uh, I'd rather I'd rather complain about it than just solve the problem. Yeah, right. Putting out it, it, as, as a email marketer, you can solve the problem for people by just setting a threshold and saying like, if someone hasn't opened an email in six months, then I'm just going to stop. Like, mm -hmm. There's no no point in continuing to email them. Yeah, I think that is a very strong but unique approach. I'd say um, to email marketing. Yeah, and it's I think very powerful in just being able to keep, like you said, that list that is very engaged with yeah. the brand. And then the email service providers are looking at that data too. Like they know how many people are opening your emails. They know how many are clicking through. And it, I think it's not overt, but I think you do get a little bit of preferential treatment on where you hit the inbox, you know, especially within Gmail where it's like, you have all the different tabs available between promotions and like, I forget what everything else is. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like social is one of yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> social promotions, notifications, like yeah, all the different options. Anyhow, I, I think if they're seeing that like, oh my God, 40% of your people are opening every single email, they're gonna treat you a little bit better than someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that data especially becomes crucial as we do like those privacy changes continue. Yeah. Um, and I know we've spoken about it too, of just really utilizing that post-purchase data too, of <laughs> understanding, okay, you might not be able to know the pre-side as much, but really diving into that space. And I think that's where that email marketing and those open rates really become crucial because you see what's working with your customers even after they've bought. Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit earlier, the parallels between email marketing and SMS. So I'm curious with Nomad, have you guys started to use SMS? Cause it is a newer avenue. Um, I've dabbled in SMS and I definitely have not used it to the same degree as some others. I've talked to other marketers that are just like, forget email, man. It's all about SMS from now on. And they, they've, they're diving in full, like head first. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> more power to them. I'm a little nervous of it. Um, 
on a personal level, I'm not a fan of receiving SMS marketing. Mm -hmm. So that just kind of has me biased, um, which isn't the best thing. I feel like as a marketer, you have to continually be testing and evolving. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we messed around with it a little bit. We have a cart abandonment SMS program that we started out with a company called Tone, who was recently acquired by Attentive. Okay. Uh, so we have that running. I'm not really doing any phone number capture on the website right now. I'm just focused on email capture. Um, and we, I've done a few batch and blast SMS campaigns to mixed results. So I'm, the, the jury's still out on my end when it comes to SMS. I, I do feel like it has a place in marketing in the future and going forward. It's just a matter of kind of reconditioning uh, people to be used to getting messages on their phone for marketing purposes. That's a great point. I do think that's exactly it <laughs> of, you know, as it becomes more normal, maybe a lot more people will be, be using SMS marketing, but mm -hmm. I still, I'm still kind of in the same boat as you where I would prefer email marketing rather than SMS because I think it is a little bit more personal. And when I check my text, it's usually for like people from, you know, my friends and family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tying it into getting a text from a random number, I'm usually like, what is, what, who is that from? Like it's, yeah, yeah it's still a little weird. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd rather let other brands recondition the broader public and upset them along the way than be the <laughs> one that's doing the upsetting. That That's what all, yeah, good marketers should be doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. Um, yeah. So then along with the how you approach marketing, how do you then take like the retention side of things and transfer it into the ad space? So how do you take that like knowledge and um, awareness for customer retention and work towards that in your ads for Nomad? That's a good question. It's, it's getting more convoluted as privacy evolves. Um, in the past, I'd be very conscious of like omitting recent customers or past purchasers from certain types of marketing campaigns versus including them in others, depending upon what the campaign is. Um, as it gets harder to target people via pixadatal, <laughs> via pixadata, pixel data, <laughs> geez, or otherwise, it I feel like marketing is kind of kind of take a swing back to more old school methods like pre Facebook, where it's going to be more brand based marketing versus very highly detailed marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so to that end, I'm starting to experiment more with like podcast ads, a um, little bit of DTV stuff. Um, and then treating my Facebook and Google ads more as like a broad swath marketing campaign versus highly detailed, like, hey, you bought an iPhone 12 case, you need a new wireless charger for your iPhone 12. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's evolving a lot right now, but I'm experimenting a lot. So I don't really have a good answer for you there. Which is totally I mean, fine. That's why we yeah. like to bring it up because there's so many moving parts, right? So yeah. it's just fun to... <laughs> I, I would say the one thing though on the retention side is like when it comes to email marketing or SMS marketing, you have that customer data like in your own uh, Shopify platform, whatever you're on. Um, so you can do a much better job of omitting people from email or SMS marketing based on purchase behavior. And I would definitely continue to do that if, if you're not expand it. Um, and what I mean by that is like, hey, someone just bought something. There's no need, to, in my opinion, to try to upsell them two days later on another product when they haven't even received their first one in the mail yet. Like, I, I really don't like that type of marketing. I don't subscribe to it at all. I feel like be respectful of your customer. 
Um, it's one thing to have an upsell at the checkout, going back to the, the in-person shopping experience, you know, you walk up to the counter and they have the extra gum pack there and you, okay, yeah, I'll grab that upsell item. Yeah. But it's nothing entirely to, as the person's walking out the door, start yelling at them, Hey, come back in and buy more stuff. Um, so I think that would not go of, well. Yeah. <laughs> no, in, in brick and mortar store, that'd go horrible, but that's what a lot of people do with email marketing. And I, yeah. I just, I don't like that. Um, so I think be respectful of your existing customers segment wisely. Um, you don't have to hit someone with a browser card abandonment email every single time they come to the website. Maybe you limit it to once a month. Um, that'll help continue your list size, but it'll also just not annoy people. I, don't mm -hmm. know. I think a lot of people kind of take a hands-off approach or like a less personal approach to their marketing efforts and in favor of trying to win a couple extra quick bucks, but then it turns off a lot of people in my opinion. Yeah, it might have that like short-term fulfillment, but long-term it could, very much not, it could yeah. not pay off well, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a great comparison. I haven't thought about it in th that way of, you know, a traditional brick and mortar store of you're walking up to the cash register and there is those upsell items. And then that comparison that you said of, you don't have, at least hopefully, an employee running after you saying, buy more products, right? You, you can leave the store and be happy with your purchase. And so that comparison with email marketing when you're, hitting um hitting that benchmark too early with emails that are following up with your customers that's a that's a very um i guess a very unique uh comparison and i i hadn't thought about it in that way before prior prior to working in e-commerce i worked at a skate shop for like three years um so um, i i have a i don't know i think working in retail is a really good experience for a lot of people yeah. even if you're not going to do it forever i think getting a couple years in there like right after college or in college will help inform your e-commerce experience and, and methodologies and down the road. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's it's working, right? Like that's a great <laughs> perspective of being able to parallel that experience in person and in line, especially with just, you know, how life is right now with everything being virtual. It's, it's great to have, I guess, both of those perspectives. Mm -hmm. And two, as you had said, you know, you were looking into podcasts, ads and, uh, you know, things that are that move away from Google, you know, Google ads and um, more targeted mm -hmm. approaches or strategies. One of our brands, Caraway, they are experimenting with in-person mailers right now because, mm -hmm. as you said, you know, we might have to go back to more traditional or older methods before mm -hmm. Facebook, right? Yeah. And so I thought that was just one um one yeah. other strategy that was a great idea and i was like of course i didn't you know i i haven't even thought about that and same thing with podcast ads you know mm -hmm. they're becoming so relevant yeah i mean podcasting we're doing it right now is definitely blown mm -hmm. up in the past couple of years um so it's an interesting avenue to pursue uh the mailers is really cool it's definitely on my list to try there's agencies that are designed or like special specialized in just doing physical mailers and have been doing it for 30 years um there's a science to it and there's an art to it and it's definitely worthwhile um, it's just, there's only so much time in the day, so I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's, it's on my, on my radar for sure. Billboards yeah. too, for that matter. Um, seems silly, a great but one. if you yeah. approach it smartly, you can get some cheap inventory and really do a lot to build your brand in areas maybe that you're already very popular in. See, that's another one. Yeah. One of those, um, maybe more retro yeah. approaches, which I think too, they, you know, until you think about it, you're like, oh, that could be very successful, especially if you're one of the newer brands who is trying mm -hmm. out the older tactics, if that makes sense, you know, like yeah. if 
if you have if you're kind of beating that transition um yeah. i think it also just stands out yeah i think like manscaped is an example it's doing the billboard stuff and they're like their billboards are sick and it's definitely eye-catching and they have a very eye-catching brand so it, it stops the the literal scroll of you like driving down the street you're like wait what oh what's that billboard okay interesting i guess um but yeah so I, I, like i said it like uh, direct to consumer mailers or something I want to try. I really want to try billboards. I even want to try like airplanes or what's it like when you, you know, you're at the beach and you got the banner flying by. Yep. Not that expensive. I, really? Oh, that's shocking. What do you think? I started looking into it. It was a little late this summer, so it was too late to do it, but uh, definitely something I want to try next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder banner, banner airplanes. I don't know that if there's a technical term for them, but for sure. Yeah. I feel like you see them for, you know, like Coors Light or yep. random people who are locally close to you. But again, mm-hmm. that's a great different avenue to try um, to really get that like yeah. brand recognition and brand impressions out there. Yeah, I mean, everyone at the beach or the lake or wherever you're at, and you see those airplanes, has their phone with them. Odds mm-hmm. are they're screwing around on their phone. If not right now, they will be in the next five minutes. So yep. yeah, there's, there's got to be an interesting way to approach it that would be mm-hmm. worthwhile. Yeah, and too, it kind of fits with the lifestyle um, outdoors. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it fits with them in that regard for sure. But I mean, like honestly, I don't know. I'm I'm excited about uh, airplanes for sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some DMs about that one later. People are like, "You're out of your mind, Chuck." Uh, airplane fanatic no i love it um and with that too i mean this is definitely a pivot but one thing that i wanted to discuss is the sustainability that nomad Mm. has um that nomad has committed to and there's so many different um different avenues and approaches that you guys have committed to you know whether not whether it's your carbon offsetting or Mm. um you know making sure that you match the carbon um carbon emissions yeah so i'd love to hear you just kind of speak about all of that as it pertains to nomad yeah i mean with climate specifically there's so many different avenues an e-commerce brand can pursue to show they have some sort of environmental stewardship there's one percent for the planet there's climate neutral uh there's Another program being set up by a company called United by Blue, where it's they're trying to get everyone on on zero plastic um, packaging. Um, if you've ordered clothes online, you know exactly how much packaging comes with one shirt, and it's insane. Too much, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's the Prana thing we're doing. There's anyhow, there's there's a multitude of ways you can show some sort of environmental stewardship with your brand uh, at Nomad. Like I said, we're a consumer electronics accessory manufacturer. Outdoors don't necessarily correlate with us directly, but we, everyone at the company is so outdoors focused that doing something with environmental stewardship makes perfect sense to us. Um, so what we're doing is we're doing the climate neutral program and we're also doing a packaging program with a company called Prana. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of them. Uh, for climate neutral, the goal is to become climate neutral or carbon neutral, basically. Uh, so we're measuring our environmental or carbon footprint from cradle to the grave, basically. So from raw material to manufacturing, to packaging, to shipping overseas, to our warehouse costs, our travel internally or externally. So if we're flying to go visit with a wholesale partner in Europe, like that kind of stuff. Uh, basically every single ounce of carbon we create, I think it even includes like uh, commute to work and stuff like that. So we're, we're measuring that, we're reflecting on it and finding ways to every single year reduce that amount of, of impact, be it 
adding solar panels to the roof or changing to LED light bulbs or automatic lights in a lot of the offices. Like there's a ton of little things you can do that you don't really think of that are impactful on a small scale. But if you multiply that by everybody else in the world trying to do the same side toward same type of things, it, it does make a big impact. Um, but yeah, we've been doing the climate neutral thing for like a year and a half now. The crew over at Peak Design set that up and we're, we're really excited to be a part of it with them. Um, and then on our packaging side of things, we're, we're making efforts to, in the past, our packaging included a, you know, a handful of magnets, depending upon what type of product it was. Gives it a really fun and interesting retail feel or like when you're in the store buying experience, but magnets are expensive or carbon intensive to mine and then also not very easy to recycle. So we're getting rid of those in our products. 99% uh, of products you buy at the store have a plastic hang tag at the top. This year we just transitioned over to a paper hang tag, which sounds crazy, but it's this really neat braided paper that it's 100% recyclable. It's literally paper, um, extremely durable and just a, a really cool, fun little like Easter egg of a, of a product change that probably most people aren't gonna notice, but those that are really into sustainability love. Mm -hmm. I don't think environmental stewardship necessarily is the thing for every single brand, but I think having some sort of social impact is really important for a lot of brands today. Um, consumers are looking for it. Uh, it's the right thing to be doing. It's hard to do everything. So I think it's important for brands to pick something and do that really well. And then hopefully everyone picks something and it works out you know, a little bit better than it is now. Yeah, I think that is, you mentioned like those little distinguishing factors or those Easter eggs that mm -hmm. people can find. And when they find them, they'll be quite impressed because it is something that's different and um, like woven uh, woven paper hangers. You wouldn't think of that, right? Because it's just no. it's the norm to use those little plastic tab looking things. Yeah. And so it is one of those distinguishing factors that when people pick up a Nomad case versus something, you know, another brand, mm -hmm. they're going to look at those and say like, oh no, they're committed to that sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather put my money towards something that is yeah, helping a better cause than, you know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I'd say it's like, even if it doesn't help make, help a consumer make a decision on what this versus that product, it's just the right thing to be doing. Like, can we remit some of our plastic, uh, plastic waste? Then mm -hmm. cool, let's do it. Is it incrementally more expensive to do so? Maybe, but like, is it, is that like half a penny worth of savings really worth it? Yeah. I don't think so. So I think, mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of just doing the right thing for the right thing's sake versus is this going to help me get 5% better sales annually? You know, like, yeah, just, just do the right thing. It's pretty, mm -hmm. pretty easy. So. Yeah. And I think that's too, that is hopefully where we're going as, you know, a world is like you said, mm -hmm. everyone is choosing to take that one thing and do it well and keep mm. keep at it um and i think that's that it does just help with that um like that feel good purchase of you know we are like all doing something collective yeah. together that is universally good <laughs> right yeah and, i mean as good as you can be at the end of the day we are a consumer culture we are mm -hmm. making and consuming a lot of stuff so reducing where possible because we're not going to stop consuming Yeah, is the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. And too, I, I did see that um, Nomad as a whole, like rewards carpooling and like little things like that. And I think that's just yeah. one of those 
um, like additional pieces that I think is so cool for your employers as well. So not mm -hmm. even on the consumer side, but as a company, you're rewarding each other and people within Nomad Goods who are committing to sustainability in the workplace as well. Yeah, I mean, Nomad's based in Santa Barbara. I think that's where Earth Day basically originated. A lot of the team members were environmental studies people in college. ECSB is known for its environmental stewardship too. So we're definitely like in the environmental bubble of Santa Barbara, California, but it, it, it's still a fun thing to do. And like, it's not like we're just jumping on the environmental stewardship bandwagon. It's, it's who we are and what we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when you guys do get those returned, um, returned products, do you upcycle those as well? We have like an informal upcycle program where local, I'm not going to say artisans, but lo local people that are messing around with crafting and leather are more than welcome to like snag some of our damaged goods and try to make something else out of it. Mm -hmm. We've had people that internally like take iPhone cases, strip the leather off the back and like cut and sew them into new leather wallets and stuff like that. It's definitely really DIY and hacky, but cool nonetheless. Um, I love that. Yeah, that's that's so creative. That's yeah. great. And on, on the return side, we don't always have people ship stuff back. Um, if it's just going to get tossed anyways, like why in why incur the carbon footprint of shipping just to throw it away here versus there? Mm -hmm. um, we do e-waste recycling for all of our damaged e-waste. Um, again, one of those things that's like super easy just to toss a cable in the trash, but probably shouldn't toss iPhone cables in the trash. You should actually do e-waste disposal. Uh, all that kind of, it's like little stuff that mm -hmm. it's common sense and it's easy to overlook, but we're making a conscious effort not to do so. Yeah. Like we have compost bins in the office and all that too. And mm -hmm. kind I of think stinky, but yeah, <laughs> no, that's, I think that's what's important though, is for, you know, listeners to hear that and highlight the little things too, because it does matter if it's like a collective effort exactly. towards sustainability. So it might be, you know, one of those like geekier or nerdier things like compost yeah. bins and um, disposing of, electronics the right way, but I think it is still in, as important to highlight um, yeah. and give some, yeah, give some praise for everything that Nomad is doing. Cause I know Thank when you. I was looking at it, I was impressed by it. Yeah. So I, I gotta say too, shout out to Sarah on the Nomad team. Cause she's been driving the ship on all this environmental stewardship. Mm -hmm. uh, so if she's listening to this big, big kudos there. Thank you, Sarah. Great job, Sarah. We love that. <laughs> Um, and I just have a couple of more questions that I would love to go over. And it is, again, a little bit of a pivot. Um, mm -hmm. But because, and it's okay if you don't have a direct answer for this, because I realize it is a unique question. Uh -huh. But because your products are based on accessories, mainly for other products mm -hmm. like Apple and um, like Apple watches, Apple phones, whatever, yeah. laptops, what is because you know that I imagine there's a quick turnaround time and it is kind of, you know, like new product launches, Apple releases the new iPhone, it feels like every five days, but um, you know, as a new product drops, what does that look like for like the accessory and the turnaround time as to how you can like still be on top of it and have a case prepared for the new, you know, model drop or whatever it is. So that's, that's product team sorcery that mm -hmm. I, I don't have, pretend to have any idea to know about. Um, they basically come to me and say, "Hey Chuck, we got this new thing. Let's let's go sell it." So I, that's where I jump into gear. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like it, every product drops different. Like 
we're working on cases for the new uh, iPad Pros right now. Um, mm -hmm. And given supply chain constraints and everything else, we probably won't have those until next year, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but other times, things we were able to get things together a lot faster. Mm -hmm. um, the nice thing is that, well, luckily Apple Watch really hasn't changed a ton in the seven years they've been out, um, at least as far as the bands go. So we can continue innovating on those and just always have something new available. Like we just launched a, a line of sports straps that are these really nice silicone, just rad straps. Um, and I feel like too, you can, like no matter what market you're in, you can always, at least for us, like there's always something that's not accessorized yet or doesn't have a complimentary uh, uh, accessory basically <laughs> that you can, you can offer. Uh, for us, like AirPods came out, no one's really making AirPods cases. And we're like, wait a second, what if we made a case for that? And we got a ton of grief for it. You know, people are like, oh, Nomad's making a case for a case. That's dumb. <laughs> but lo and behold, it's something that people want. So it's yeah. like, it worked out really well for us. It took a while and we definitely weren't. I think we rolled out our Gen 1 AirPod case like a month before Gen 2 AirPods came out. So we were definitely super late to the AirPod game. I mean, as far as like the product launch timeline goes, but they're at a time when no one else was really doing it. So it worked out great for us. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really an answer to your question entirely, but no, I, I knew it was going to be a more product-based um, yeah. question, so I recognize that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I still, I think it is interesting just knowing like at least that timeline with the marketing and releasing like the innovation that it takes to have the, you know, the AirPods case come out because like you're saying, you perhaps got a little bit of grief <laughs> for doing something different. Um, yeah. and along those lines as well, doing something different with the iPhone cases that you can like do the phone tap with the NFC, um, yeah. like contact information. I think that's awesome. And I'm not aware of another phone case that does something similar. So I wanted to highlight that and bring, um, some applause to that innovation as well. Yeah. We, we were able to partner with a great company called Popple that makes the little NFC tag and, and develops the app on the back end of it. Um, pretty easy to add to our cases. So we're, we're stoked to have them. We're stoked to have the partnership and to have that unique uh, aspect to our product that no one else is doing in the in the case game right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with that, um, the thing that we always like to finish each episode out with and round it out is a piece of advice that either you take with you every day or try and um, keep in mind while you're approaching your retention strategy. So we know it's a little bit meta. <laughs> Um, of a question, but what would be one thing that you would share with someone who's just getting into the marketing space or one resource that you would recommend? Uh, always be testing is definitely an ethos I like to stand by. Um, if it seems like a silly idea, test it. And right. Maybe it's the next great greatest thing you've ever come up with. You never know until you try. Um, so I think that's a big one. Don't 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 look to like the the blogs and the listicles and the the design or like the, the people that think they know everything about e-commerce marketing and say, okay, this is what John did. So I'm going to copy the same thing. Mm -hmm. Every business is different. Every, everyone's in a different phase of their business's growth. So what worked for someone a year ago might work great for you, or might be a terrible, terrible idea. Right. So just be independent or be an independent thinker, do your research and talk to people, but then also form your own, own hypotheses test and see what happens. Well, that is some great advice. <laughs> so thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, and overall, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. It's been a blast and just hearing so many amazing insights has been such a great 
um, such a great vantage point for me to be able to ask these questions and hear your responses. So thank you. No, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's always fun to have these conversations and chat a bit more about marketing in general, what people are doing. It forces me yeah. to rethink my, things on my end and come up with fresh ideas too. Well, I love that. For this week's fact check, I thought it would be really fun if I did a little bit of digging to try and find when SMS started to get very popular. I found two pretty cool articles about that. One was from business2community.com, and it said that SMS marketing grew nearly 200% between 2015 and 2017, and Attentive, they found in their new customer survey that in 2017, 79% of consumers say that they would have signed up to receive text messages from brands. In 2020, over 90% said that they had. Some other facts that we discuss in the episode are surrounding Careway and their DTC mailers that they've trialed out. If you're curious about that, we spoke to Josh at Caraway in episode nine, the one right before this one. So I encourage you all to go listen to that. But Chuck also brings up a great, you know, older or retro marketing avenue, such as billboards. And he mentions Manscaped as an example of that. And even planes, or as I learned in this fact check, is called aerial advertising. And so those planes that you see fly over a beach with a banner, those are just called banner planes. But I learned that Flogos are the type of advertisement that plants can kind of print out a message or what have you in the sky. And that's from bubbles, like really condensed bubbles that planes can leave. Other than that, uh, the only other fact check we had was that Sarah on the Nomad team leads the environmental stewardship. So again, we're shouting her out for all those amazing policies and and initiatives she's been working on. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and listen to other episodes and please share your feedback on your favorite social media platforms. If there's someone, whether it's yourself or another recommendation that you would love to see on the podcast, please feel free to also reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks. And until next episode.